This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. Well, good morning, First Pres. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, Our New Testament scripture reading this morning will come from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. And we'll be beginning in verse 31. Here we read. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with them, excuse me, with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did did it to me. Then you will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Praise the Lord. And now our scripture reading for today's message comes from Malachi, beginning in chapter 3, verse 16. And we'll be reading all the way to the end of the book. Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, reads, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. And then beginning in chapter 4, 
For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The word of the Lord. Good morning. If you have your Bible there open to Malachi, we'll be finishing our series in the Minor Prophets today, and it's been a good journey through this summer as we've looked at the various Minor Prophets and saw the consistent message of God to His people. But before we dive in this morning, let's just take a moment and pray together. Father, we are thankful, Lord, to hear You. Um, to know that you are not silent, that you speak to your people through your word. And Lord, as we have heard your word this morning, we're reminded of what it, what it is to be your child, what a blessing it is, what good news it is to be received into that number. Lord, we are thankful for the gift of Jesus. We're thankful, Lord, for the gospel. We're thankful, Lord, that you have loved us so much that you sent your one and only son to come to live, to die, and to rise again on our behalf. And Lord, because he has overcome, we know that we too have overcome. And Lord, that's good news for us because we live in a world of woe, in a world of trial, a world that tests us in many ways, and yet to know that we are more than conquerors because of Christ. What good news, refreshing news that is. And so, Lord, we pray that this day, you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. Lord, I pray that you would protect my mouth, not to say anything more nor less than you've given me to say, but Lord, that I would be faithful to your word. And Lord, as we pray each and every Sunday, we pray that we would be changed, made more and more into the image of your beloved Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Separation is something we actually see a little bit of every day. As children get older, we see some children grow taller. Uh, we see some who develop art artistic skills, some who seem to advance in academic skills, and others seem who seem to really do well in athletics. On the football field, as you begin to inch closer and closer to the first game of the year, you begin to hear coaches use a phrase like this. We'll begin to see the starters to separate themselves from the rest of the pack. It's kind of a, a word of encouragement to the football team that those who want to start, those who want to, to step out, they're going to need to separate themselves from the rest of the pack. Talking to my son this week after his first month of college football, I asked him uh, a very big question. I said, so Noah, what's the difference between high school and college football? 
he quickly responded. He said, Dad, they're bigger, stronger, and faster. <laughs> and I got to tell you, that's, that division of, of, of separation only continues as you continue to move up the ranks of college football and eventually even make it into the pros. They get bigger, they get stronger, and they get faster. Separation is something we experience in life. But while separation is something we see every day, there is a separation that is yet to come. A separation that the scriptures elevate and point us to and remind us of. A separation of the sheep from the goats. And the scary thing about that separation, church, is this. That separation is an eternal separation. That separation is an eternal separation. In our text this morning, we see Malachi offering a warning regarding this separation. A warning to a stubborn, arrogant people who continue to disobey. Remember who he's talking to. Every time he's given them a message from the Lord, they, they challenge that message. They're arrogant. They're stubborn. They continue to disobey. And yet what we see is that Malachi continues to be faithful, reminding them of God's command. See, what's interesting about this group of people is this is a group of people that were really showing signs of faith early on. They were the ones who chose to return to the promised land. If you remember, not all of Israel returned. It was a remnant that returned. Many decided to stay in the pagan land. They enjoyed the ways of the pagan people. But not this group. They went back to the promised land. This group was the group that rebuilt the temple. This is the group that offered sacrifices. And yet all the while throughout this prophecy, we have seen their hearts remain cold. It causes us to challenge the reality that just because someone looks religious outwardly doesn't mean that they're truly following Jesus inwardly. The problem is they disobeyed God repeatedly. And this is the message, therefore, that Malachi warns them with. Look at verse 14 or verse 18 of chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 18. I draw your attention to the words that are used here. He used a word of distinction. He says, Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Distinction, separation. There's going to be a difference between the righteous. And the wicked. And he's saying this to people who, on the outward, appeared to be following God. They rebuilt the temple, they went back, they offered sacrifices, yet their hearts were arrogant. They were evildoers, they were stubborn. And so Malachi warns them that there shall be a separation, there shall be a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. What does this look like, this comparison? Well, for the righteous, we're told in verse 16 that they fear the Lord. That's the description there. They fear the Lord in verse 16. They're full of awe and reverence towards God. They respect His holiness. In verse 16, at the end, it says they esteem the Lord's name. They honor the Lord's name. They didn't take it as a curse word. The righteous honored the Lord's name. 
In chapter 4, verse 2, he actually goes on to say, they fear my name. They treat God's name with respect, with care. They set his name apart. They don't treat God as they treat others. In verse 18 of chapter 3, it says, they serve God. They serve God. They're putting the desires of God before themselves. They listen and they obey. That's the distinctions of the righteous person. But look at the comparison with the wicked. In chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, we read that your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken hard against you? And the Lord answers, you have said it is vain to serve the Lord. Their words are hard against God. The wicked speak out against God. Verse 18 of chapter 3, we're told that they don't serve God. They'd rather not serve God. They put their own needs before God. In chapter 4, verse 1, we're told that they're arrogant. They're self-seeking. They'd rather seek honor for themselves than to seek God's honor. Also in verse 1 of chapter 4, we see that they're called evildoers. We saw this in their worship, their lack of offering proper sacrifices they presented the lame the blind the broken animals the blemish animals rather than the pure animals that god required evildoers what's the difference between this comparison gave you a list of differences but what really is the difference the heart the heart is the difference look here in malachi 6 4 he says and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to the fathers. The heart is the issue. That's what separates the righteous from the wicked. The heart. Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He says, the good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasures, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The heart. The heart matters. The idea here is to return to the heart of their ancestors in Malachi 4.6. To return to the heart of their ancestors. Like Father Adam, or Father Abraham, excuse me. Not Adam, we don't go back to Adam. But Father Abraham. Think about Abraham for a minute. He was a man of faith. God told him to go and he went. Was he perfect? No, but, but he tried to be obedient. He trusted the Lord, even when he was told to sacrifice his own child. It's amazing to see that they're being called to the hearts of their fathers. That's not necessarily their immediate earthly fathers, but again, their ancestors. They're the ones who went before them, those who had piety and love for God, those who displayed a heart for God. Be like that, he says. The reason we believe it may not be about their fathers is because their fathers have kind of led them down the wrong road. Some of us have grown up in households where maybe our parents didn't take us to church, but maybe it was a grandmother. Maybe it was an aunt. Maybe it was a distant relative who encouraged us in our faith. Be like them is what he says here in 4.6. Some of us have been blessed by our parents who have faithfully taken us to church. And now we're continuing that lineage with our children and grandchildren. Continue that faith. Walk in that faith. That's what he means. It's a matter of the heart. But notice this. This work of the heart isn't something they do themselves. In verse 6, he says, he will turn. 
Now, it's a reference to Elijah who will come, Elijah who's sent by the Lord preaching the Lord's message. It is God through the Holy Spirit who uses this message to change the hearts. This is found in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, where he says, I'll give you new hearts. It's a promise of the new covenant. The new heart is a gift of God. New desires are a sign of real faith. Heart matters. So I ask you this morning, do you have a heart for God? Do you have a heart for God? Do you fear him? Do you seek to honor his name? Do you put his wishes above your own? His desires over your desires? That's a testimony of your faith and your new heart. It shows that you are on the side of the righteous, if so. But if not, it shows your heart is aligned with the side of the wicked. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 of Malachi, he mentions a day of separation. Look at verse 1. He says, For behold, the day, the day of the Lord is what he's referencing. Behold, the day is coming. He describes it as burning like an oven, hot like an oven. When uh, my, my children were little, my wife constantly would be playing a, a referee to keep everyone away from the hot oven, for they would be burned by touching it. And the idea is that this, this day is a hot oven. It's a burning oven. Our own confession of faith describes this day. The Westminster Confession, chapter 33, says this, God hath appointed a day wherein he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ, to whom all power and judgment is given of the Father. Listen to this. In which day not only the apostate angels shall be judged, but likewise all persons that have lived upon the earth shall appear before the tribunal of Christ. They will give an account of their thoughts, of their words, of their deeds, and to receive accordingly to what they have done in body, whether good or evil. The day, it is as a hot oven. Only the good will remain. Uh, think of the gold we referred to just a couple of weeks ago and all the dross that is basically taken away when you, when you put it under fire. The judgment day is a hot oven. The judgment day is coming, a day of separation between what is good and what is evil. Malachi begins with this day regarding the wicked. Look what he says at the second half of verse 1. He says, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble, they'll be burned up. This day is a day that is coming, which shall set them ablaze. This idea of the fire, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Their works will be consumed. Because where they've invested their resources and time and energy, they won't have anything to give God honor. It will all be burned up. On that day, the wicked, the arrogant, the evildoers, they'll be like stubble. They'll leave neither root nor branch. Everything they have will be burned up. There will be no fruit of any of their labor. That's the picture of that day. It's a scary day. But not so for the righteous. Look what he says in verses 2 and 3. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteous shall rise with healing in his wings. 
You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. What a contrast. One who's burned up all their works. One who's described there as being arrogant and wicked. What happens? They're consumed by the fires of the Lord, and yet not the righteous. They're healed. They go out leaping, joyful, happy. And they're more than conquerors. The soles of their feet crush the ashes of the enemy, all because of the Lord, because of the heart he's given them. Notice the key is about fearing the name. It's about fearing, reverencing, honoring the name. And those who do that, they shall be healed by the Son of Righteousness. They shall leap, they shall tread down the wicked. Notice the healing, the youthful joy of, 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 of flowing out or dancing out. The victory. The victory is an important point because remember, wasn't that what the people during Malachi's day were saying? The wicked seem to triumph. Where's God? And he's saying, look, the righteous are the ones who are truly victorious. That day will declare it. They'll be blessed. According to verse 17 of chapter 3, he actually says, they shall be mine. They shall be my treasured possession. I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. I'll protect them. I'll bless them. I'll honor them. Church, hear this. The bottom line is the faithful, those who honor God's name, who serve him will be rewarded. That's good news. You want the bad news? None of us do that perfectly. <laughs> There's not a one of us in this room that honors God's name perfectly. The truth is, our name is listed with the sinners, the wicked, the evildoers, the arrogant. We are all those who serve our own desires. But I'll give you some good news again. Thanks be to God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, who came to die for the wicked. That's the good news of the gospel. Thanks to Jesus Christ, the true S-O-N of righteousness. Not the S-U-N, the S-O-N of righteousness. He brings true healing. He brings true joy. He brings true and lasting victory. But they're only found in him. And so therefore we must reverence his name. In Luke chapter 4, we hear Jesus say that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind. He has set at liberty those who were oppressed. The good news of the gospel is freedom. Freedom to be worshipers of God. Freedom to enjoy the good things that God provides. But it's all a question of this. Are you resting in Jesus? Are you resting in the finished work of Christ? It may seem strange that I'm asking that to the 9 o'clock crowd. You have been faithfully attending this church for years. But what we've already seen in this book is there were many who were religiously faithful on the outside, but their hearts were hard. We would be foolish to think that that wouldn't mean that there's some of us that need to have a heart realignment. And so the question is, am I truly resting in Christ? Am I truly trusting in his finished work? 
Do I know of his healing? Do I know of his joy? Have I experienced his victory that only he can provide? See, that's the message that Malachi shares with his people. All the while, he's telling them they need to prepare for the separation, for the day that is coming. Look at verses 4 through 6. He says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb. Horeb's just another name for Sinai. Some people believe it's the regent of all the mountains, not particularly just Sinai, the mountain. For all of Israel, he says, behold, I send you Elijah the prophet, the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. What's the point here? We're pointed to the work of Elijah. We're also pointed to the law of Moses. We're pointed to the prophet Elijah and the law of Moses. And what's interesting here is God is saying that we need to look to what Elijah had done as he told the word of the Lord to the people. We need to look to the law of Moses, which commanded the way of righteousness and faithfulness. And yet we know, as we've seen in Luke chapter 1, that Elijah was fulfilled in John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus. You can read about that in Luke 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. John the Baptist came preaching the law, and preaching the gospel. What did he call the people to do? Repent. He would expose them in their filthy deeds, showing them how they stood up against the law of Moses, calling them to repentance and to surrender to the name of Christ. See, he was calling them to a heart change. This was the work of Elijah. But did you know that God likes to do things again and again and again? And God continues to do a heart change in his church and in, amongst his people. He did this during the Reformation in the 1500s. There would be a heart change amongst the people. The Reformation through Calvin and Luther, we would see great revivals spring up all over Europe as the people came back to the word of God and the truth of God and repented and in obedience followed. Or how about we saw it again a hundred years or 150 years after that in the 1700s of the Great Awakening with Edwards and Whitfield. When the gospel was preached and people just 100 years or 150 years separation began to fall away. And here they were called back to repentance and they repented. Some of us have experienced those types of awakenings ourselves in churches that preach the gospel or even when we went to conventions and heard the gospel for the first time and we saw people coming forward and acknowledging their need of Christ. God does this work again and again. But understand this, as much as there's the work of Elijah being done, there's a work of another being done. The work of the other in scripture is clear. It's the work of the Antichrist the work of apostasy apostasy is abandonment apostasy is rejection the work of this of antichrist is described all over in scripture in matthew 24 24 it talks of the false christ and it's plural meaning many yet in second thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3 it talks about the man of lawlessness 
Or how about in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, when it says the Antichrist is coming, and then it answers it with, many Antichrists have come. Or how about 2 John, verse 7, where it talks about the Antichrist with a definite article. The reality is that while there is a picture of one Antichrist who is to come, there are many Antichrists who have already come. And what does this mean? It means the church is full of decay. It means the church is full of decay. Apostasy is real. This own congregation has saw that when the fall of the old denomination that we belong to, and we had to separate it from then. The real decay is occurring. It occurs all around us as the gospel begins to be choked up or covered up by all the man-centered things, just like in Malachi's day. Yeah, they had the temple. Yeah, they had the sacrifices. Yeah, they went back to the land. Yeah, they appeared religious, but their hearts were cold. Church, that's apostasy. That's the falling away, the abandonment, the rejection of the gospel when we make man-centered things more important than God's word. See, this is the struggle we see in Malachi. This is the problem that the people on the outside, what the problem wasn't the people on the outside, the problem was the people on the inside. They had all the signs of religion, but their hearts were cold. So what's the point? Test your heart. We need to ask really tough questions. Am I truly following Christ? Is Christ have supreme reign in my life? Am I surrendering all to him? Even when the culture pushes in, even when things don't line up the way I think they should, am I obedient to Scripture? See, that was the issue, wasn't it, with Malachi's day? Scripture said one thing, but they were doing another. Church, the question is before each of us. The question is, which group am I in? Am I one of the righteous, one who fears God, one who seeks to honor his name and serve him? Or am I one of the wicked, who's arrogant and an evil evildoer? Psalm 1 paints a beautiful picture of the division. Listen to what it says in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. Notice the progression downward as, as he it slows down progression, but the sins become greater. First he's in the council as he walks, then he would, would stand and, and he would now be with sinners, and then eventually he would be sitting with the seat of the scoffers. The blessed man doesn't do any of that. According to verse 2, the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on the law of the Lord, he meditates day and night so as not to turn to the right or to the left. It goes on to say in verse 3, he's like a, plea, a tree planted by a stream of water, yielding forth its fruit in its season. His leaves do not wither, and all he does prospers. But it goes on to say, the wicked are not so. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Church Malachi's point is simple. Decision time has come. There are only two sorts of people. There are sheeps and there are goats. 
there will be a great day of separation, and that separation will be rooted in the heart, the heart of real worship. See, church, understand this. God has repeatedly reminded his people of his love. In Malachi chapter 1, verse 2, he said, I have loved you. In chapter 2, verse 11, he reminded them that they are the sanctuary in which he loves. It's not the building, the brick and mortar. He loves the people. And according to chapter 3, he cried out repeatedly, return to me, and I will return to you. But the question is, will they? Well, what about us? Will we? Church, there is no middle ground. We are either with him or we are against him. Remember the warning to the church of Laodicea. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, he says, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold, so that because you are lukewarm, you are neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Church, Joshua said, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Friends, there could be no more important call than that today. Whom will you choose? Whom will you serve? Will you be on the side of the righteous or the side of the wicked? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we step away from this book, we're thankful, Lord, for our time in these minor prophets, but we're especially thankful, Lord, for our time in Malachi. We're thankful for the ways in which he has poked us and prodded us. And Lord, we're thankful for that conviction of heart because, Lord, that is a sign of the Holy Spirit's working in us. The fact that these things bother us and we wrestle with these questions is a sign of the fruit of repentance. So, God, may we not bury that, but may we see that bear much fruit, that our lives would change, that we'd be more committed, more faithful, more obedient, not because it earns us our place, but because it's a sign of one who has been given a new heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. 